0: The Security Champions podcast is brought to you by Security Journey. We help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. Learn more at securityjourney.com.
1: Welcome to the next episode of the Security Champion Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Birch, and today I'm joined with Ahmed Sadadi. Now, he is a three-time founder. and He's actually the current CEO of a company called Corgi. He has led various products at places like Coupa, including their payment suites. And over the last six years, they acquired his last startup, um, Riscopy. Now, Corgi, he really targeted this organization because he wanted to address... A, leveraging AI, but also af- effectively dealing with the frustration, the manual and ineffective processes that companies take around security. Now, better than my red off spiel of kind of why you're here and who you are, I'd rather you tell me what your kind of security journey is and what got you from the start to wanting to be AI security.
2: Yeah. So thank you, Mike. It's really a pleasure to be on here. And and thank you for hosting me. I'll just get started really quickly by just saying what we do at Corgia. And it's basically we fix vulnerabilities in source code. And we do that using AI. And I'll talk about a little bit on how we ended up there because the problem found us more than we found it. Uh, But basically, like you said, um, I had sold my last startup to a company called Coupa, a great company in the business management space, really innovative, created the category. And the last four years of my journey there, I worked on payments. And anytime you work on a payments product, it's super mission critical. Um, you're dealing with real funds, you can't afford to lose any of it, right? And so application security was a really massive component. I eventually led the team for the the three years of my journey there at the end, and all of the security fraud and compliance stuff fell on my desk, and, and I didn't want to burden the rest of the product managers with it because they were building feature function and a lot of revenue generating things. And, um, you know, you start to have your CISO and speed dial and legal and engineering because a lot of work and effort was put into making sure that the application was secure. And one of the things I realized was security had a lot of broken pieces. And I mean that generally in, as an industry, you would think cybersecurity is a lot more advanced in its capabilities. But you, then you quickly discover that there's actually a lot of gaps in the space. We... and. And I started focusing namely on data security because I thought that was a fundamental problem that was yet to be solved. And so we started a company called Corgia. We got backed by Y Combinator, a number of great investors hired, built a product around data security to help pinpoint where are you leaking data, right? Um, this was a really huge, huge, huge thing when we did payments because we did, dealt with beneficiary information and like really sensitive piece of information that you don't want to leak out there. And we did a great job and I thought, Let's make a product and see how we can help other companies. And we deployed it with several customers and we would find what was P0 problems. We would tell them, you're leaking data here, 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 and here. Like we found pre-signed S3 bucket credentials. We found like tokens and secrets and credit cards and a number of things, social security numbers, being leaked in a lot of SaaS applications and databases and so on. And we would point customers like, we found all this stuff in here, and they'd be like, "Okay, one moment, please," and then two, three weeks would pass by, and we started like having doubts. Like, is we not what we is, is what we're doing not valuable? What's the deal here? And then they would come back to us two or three weeks later, and be like, "Okay, now we're investigating these issues," and be like, "Okay, what were you doing in the last two or three weeks? Isn't this like a P zero type of scenario?" And they'd be like, no, well, we had this case happen and this alert we had to go investigate and this and this and this and this and and we had to triage a bunch of stuff till we got to your thing. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how many tools are you guys running? Like I would ask prospects and customers, 100, 200, 300. And we're like, wait, do none of them like fix things? They just keep reporting things at you. They're like, yeah, they just tell us how we're screwing up and we don't have enough time, bandwidth, team members, or budget to go chase after a lot of them. And so we try and triage and focus on the areas we need to rapidly go at. And that was when the light bulb moment clicked where we were like, okay, it looks like what teams need is automated remediation. The finding stuff has been worked on quite a lot and they're fatigued with that. There's the term alert fatigue for a reason, right? And humans can't encompass everything, right? I mean, if you think about the security exposure at most companies, it's massive. And so you need now a lot of hands. And I mean that in an artificial way to come in and step in and actually help there. And so we saw the recent developments with AI and NLMs and so thought, well, we could help with this. And so we started talking to customers. They're like, yes, this is a great problem. We have nothing in this. Can you help us do this? Because a developers aren't great at security work. And so they need a lot of guidance and assistance B, we as security are disenfranchised and disempowered from being able to actually fix things in security. And so can you help us bridge that gap? And that's how we ended up with Corgio, where we automate, you know, code remediation and code fixes.
1: One of the things I also like about this, too, is it's not the concept isn't necessarily it's not a vulnerability chasing necessarily, right? It's just identification and then explanation and remediation. Um, and then a lot of the conversations right now, I think, in a lot of organizations, a lot of people I've been meeting with is everyone's really scared of AI, right? It's not it's not necessarily in a positive light. Most of the people I talk to security managers, I've got talked to people running security programs, education programs, all this stuff, their biggest fears come around the fact that I'm adding AI, there's so much that could go wrong, and, and there's a lot of fear mongering around it. And if you right. don't believe that, go look at any of the security conferences right now. Because every one of the talks that were coming to AI is somewhat doomsday or a sales pitch, right? <laughs> it's one or the other for most most, most parts, right? Um, but it's, it's an interesting when you can take back and say, hey, okay, outside of just the the developers using it in their like co-pilot or something like that to help them write projects or code or just the vulnerabilities that might happen based on bad training models, all this stuff. It's really about how can we make these AI-enabled security tools as a partner for us in increasing Correct. our security posture, right? Whether that's through, because I've talked to, I've seen some other products out there are great that, like this is great, just-in-time remediation with education value. There's some people out there doing some great stuff that are enhancing DevSecOps. I saw one, one I'm not gonna name the name, but there's like, there's AppSec engineers out there that are currently building basically AppSec assistance for your security program that are trained off of AI models that are basically just trained to assist you running your program, basically a chat box assistant awesome. for your for your AdSec program. So the the new pro, proliferation, there we go, proliferation of all these new tools that can help us build security, I think is like a massive value. AI is coming. This is, this is gonna be hit every part of our industry, learning how to adopt it in ways that help out and actually increase our posture and security posture, I think is, going to be really powerful moving forward.
2: I hope so. And that's the bet we're making. And I think there's a lot of people that have fear of AI. But there's a good saying, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And when you look at back, every time new technologies were being adopted, there were two extreme versions of the future reality, and the truth came out somewhere in the middle. Right? Um, when SaaS came out, people were like, I'm a, who am I going to trust to put my data in the cloud? That was like a really big thing. Similar thing to AI. Security and privacy concerns, right? Came out immediately during the 1999 dot-com boom. And then it was later adopted that, uh, right before the financial crisis and during the financial crisis of 2008. And history is repeating itself or rhyming again. People are seeing this is a new technology. They still don't know what to make of it. There's a lot of fear-mongering and adoption going on on both sides of the equation. But I think the most important thing maybe to listeners and to to people, what I advise is dig deep into the value of what each of these tools is doing, not because of AI, but because of what they're trying to do. Um, Even in my LinkedIn title, I don't put or mention anything about AI because that's not what we deliver. And it's not the marketable piece about what we do. The marketable piece is... We're going to help you remediate your code and get more secure um, code base, right? That's, that's the measurable deliverable. We happen to do it with AI, AI. And I think when I was talking to a prospect and they were actually exploring more opportunities of working with AI companies, I'm like, that's not why you should be talking to us. You should be talking about the problem that you're trying to solve and what's the best appropriate solution. And I think We will go through a hype curve. Right now we're going in the midst of this like giant hype of AI where it's a little bit overblown. And I also think there's a lot of bad AI. Um, I was talking to a lot of people and they're like, oh, people are tired of AI. It's because you're just kind of going to chat GPT and just like giving it very basic instructions and expecting it to do wonders and magic. Hell, go to any of your lead developers and just tell them, hey, I want a microservice. They're going to ask you 10 questions. ChatGPT doesn't have the opportunity to go ask you 10 questions. And so you want it to act like a lead developer without giving it any context. Yeah, you're going to get bad AI. You're going to get bad results. You're going to feel like this stuff isn't prime time ready yet. But you're treating it as if it's an AGI and it has to abide everything that you do. And that's hard. You're misusing the tool.
1: Yeah and I, I love that framing of the idea there. It's the fact is I do think and I and I see this myself is everyone everyone of our customers is like, "Well, cool, how are you leveraging AI?" They want to know how we're going to leverage AI. I'm like, and and I think you yeah, you hit it spot right on, right? People are in this phase right now. They're like they're they're chasing AI and like hyper aware of like how is AI being leveraged in every scenario, but they're framing the problem wrong. It's not not the questions aren't how are we going to use AI? It's how do we solve our problems? And if you happen to have an AI solution that that solves my problem appropriately or is enhanced by AI, that's great. Understand the implications of that. That's it, right? Like don't focus on the AI, just like you said, focus on the problem you're trying to solve. It can, can really scope in a lot of this. I think it's also the problem there's a lot of misunderstandings about what AI is capable. So before we deep dive into that though, right? Cause I think that's really the core of this conversation. We want to talk right. about AI security and everything else. Right? Um, so before we dive into that, we're gonna take a quick break from this, um, take a quick break. Let my sponsors kind of give their a quick shout out and then we're gonna come back and get into the core of this conversation.
0: None of the top 50 university programs teach secure coding in their curriculum. At Security Journey, we help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. With almost 700 up-to-date lessons created by industry-leading security experts and a programmatic approach that creates security champions, our programs have increased AppSec knowledge by as much as 85%. Visit securityjourney.com to try our training today.
1: Welcome back. This is the Security Champion Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Birch. I'm here joined with Ahmed, and we're going to be talking about AI security. So to kind of kick us right off the gate, what do you think are some of the security implications that we have to be aware of when thinking about using AI as its relationship with product and application security? Cool.
2: Um, I think with any new technology, there are it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think we're going to see really great advancements in security. I think there is going to be a lot of snake oil that's being sold in the security market that will die in the next several years. I have my hypothesis and theories. uh, And if anything, I say anything about it, I'm not trying to bash anyone. It's just my opinions. And then I think it's also going to increase the amount of threats available um, and how bad actors will use AI against companies. And we've already seen some of that. Um, do you want me to start with the good stuff or do you want me to start with the bad stuff? Where do you want to go?
1: You know, let's uh, let's get the good stuff out of the way because I think okay. a lot of people are, uh, like we said before, they're apprehensive. We already got the fear mongering right. in there. So let's let's talk. put some positive spins on it first.
2: Let's put the positive spins first. I think stuff like what we're doing, automated code remediation, we, we've seen great results. And I'm not trying to sell anything what we're doing here. But in, in general, we QE our own stuff. And we're starting to see a really high percentage of success rates in AI. I'm never going to say that it's 100% perfect, neither is any human, and which is how these things are trained like, um, but uh, the future is here. We see it working, people are using it, um, and it's real. Um, we're going to be publishing a report on benchmarks, on how many successful uh, fixes we have versus non-successful fixes, and we'll actually show why the non-successful fixes weren't successful. And I think that's a little bit with some of the AI transparency uh, stuff we've been advocating is that there needs to be more transparency with companies that are building on AI and advocating for it. And I recommend to any of your listeners, whoever is assessing a company that's touting a lot of high claims in AI, ask them about what their success rates look like. And if they can show you real examples of successes and failures and be honest and transparent about it, that'd be huge. There's a lot of dubiousness right now in the market about these claims. I think um, things that bridge between two functions is gonna be a massive opportunity. So, um, and this is kind of something we're doing, but you see a lot of things that are coming out like this, like giving the ability for product managers to do data science, right? That's bridging between two different functions, which is product and data science, right? Giving the ability for, you know, documentation people to understand code, giving people that security issue code fixes, right? They're not software engineers, but now they can, right? All of these cross-functional bridges, AI will facilitate. So it'll put less burden on those teams. So for example, data science teams, they don't want to be constantly answering questions around what happened or how does this look like and stuff like that. Those lower level types of tasks can be given to an AI to help, right? And I think, go ahead.
1: No, I was about to say that. I think, uh, I love the way you explain it because the way I've heard that explained is it's not that none of that was previously unachievable. It was just a good example. As like you like said, product to data science, right? The, the gap in lift that would take in a normal process <clears throat> for them to reach up that level of like understanding is a large lift. AI has basically dropped the ceiling of accessibility 100%. for everybody. And this is for software development. This is for all sorts of things. You can take junior developers now that are able to crank out more high-fidelity stuff because we've dropped that ceiling to obtaining that information.
2: It's like the Steve Jobs. There's a great Steve Jobs video about the uh, the computers, the bicycle for the mind. Right? I don't know if you've seen this like whole video. It's a fantastic one around like how they did a study around... Um, energy versus movement and they found out the condor was like the most energy efficient but if you add a human on a bike it blows away the condor in efficiency and so he's like the computer is the bicycle for the mind i think ai is going to be the car right being able for you to do bigger and more complex tasks than having to go code if else statements right So bridging that gap, and so some of the security examples is being able to have, you know, security operations folks be able to ask code and talk to it. How do you behave? Should this work? Should this not work? I was on a lot of calls during my my Coupa days where a customer, unfortunately, would have an incident. Nothing related to our software, but they would. You know, they had some security uh, issues in their emails or, or a supplier had a vulnerability in their email. And now we have to help the customer figure out what to do. And... I would jump on these calls because I was the domain expert. I knew the feature functionality of the product. What if AI can go read all that documentation, watch the videos and read the code and be able to help people who are triaging issues to better triage them, right? That's one thing. So bridging that gap, I think is going to be a huge, huge, huge opportunity in the AI space. And I think it's going to be acceleration of learning, right? You folks are an education company. There's going to be a huge, huge surge in education and learning because... You used to have more structured learning, now people can learn at their own pace, in their own style, in their own questions, and have them answered. If, like, to be honest, I use ChatGPT all the time to to learn. I'm sure we all do. Um, And rather than go reading five Google articles about something, um, it's much easier to pose questions. And then you pair that with really structured content. That becomes immensely powerful, right? And I think being able to mix and match between the two is going to lead to hugely, hugely improved accelerated learning. And AI used to be black box. Like, it used to do stuff and you couldn't ask it questions. and It just vomited out stuff. And you're like, why is it vomiting out stuff? And there was this like whole terminology around black box. Now you can ask it. Why are you doing that kind of stuff? Like, we talked about the AI explanations, right? Like, it's explaining what it did... And so there's an educational piece there. So I I, I think you're going to see some of those trends. Obviously, there's a lot more, but uh, I don't want to take too much time on the podcast. We can move on to some of the bad stuff if you want.
1: Well, let me tie into one part of that conversation I think you brought up that was interesting. And it's all along that educational side, right? Um, Now, with that educational side, obviously, well, some of this bad stuff will probably touch on the fact of uh, over-reliance or over-confidence in the results that you're getting. Um, So understanding how the system works are important. But I, I, I love I love leveraging some of these generative AI chat bots right? that can, st- as a great starting point, right? That's where I see a lot of these, right? Like the ideation phase for a lot of people, it's starting from zero to getting to the first rough draft of an idea is a large leap. Like that's a huge, huge. manual process. And I do that for content creation, right? When I go out and like my traditional, especially, pre AI leveraging, we'd go out and I'd spend I'd spend weeks studying and reading and collecting information and finally aggregating it myself into a larger form to better understand what the important areas were to create good curriculum around security, right? Um, The lift from zero idea to having an idea has gotten a lot smaller from that educational standpoint of creating that style of curriculum. Now, you can't do it for everything and you can't trust it for everything, right? And there's things it doesn't know, and you're responsible to figure that out on your own. Um, but getting that at that first start, like, instead of looking at blank paper and be like, Okay, where am I Google search first to start my ideas coming from having these AI augmented stuff for learning is a very powerful tool. 100%
2: 100%. Um,
1: so all right, we, we positives, we hit some positives, what are some things we need to be cautious about? When I, I, about- I mean,
2: you just hit my number one item is the AI sounds very confident. <laughs> and with things that sound very confident, you can you you might blindly trust it. And with bad AI or badly prompted things, like you have to think about it. And AI, we have a saying at the company, AI is don't reason. The LLMs don't reason, they fuzz. They're trying to predict your the next word it should tell you based on what you've told it. And so if you don't get it give it a good don't um, um, do a good job of telling it what you need and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do, it's going to lead to nasty behaviors. And it could theoretically, and not theoretically, we've seen this, create bad code or create bad historical facts or research or content or mislead you in a direction of your education. So you still need a lot of structure and, and, and thinking around that. That's why I don't think... Chat GPT or any of these tools are what we will see in the next 10 years. I think they were the starting place of what is the new internet. And then the tools that go and fine tune the LLMs and prompt engineer it correctly and put the good scaffolding and controls to ensure it's not doing anything nasty after the fact are, are going to be the, the winners in this space. But from an education perspective, I've had it like out like hallucinate. All right, hallucinate shit. And you're like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> and the, you're right. The ceiling went down, but also the floor went up. You have to have some level of knowledge around the domain you're trying to ask it to make sure it's not doing naughty stuff. Because the people who are at risk are below that floor. And they're the ones that are probably going to you know, run into a wall trying to do something.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting concept there. And I love the idea of the floor coming up, the The responsibility has come on us that we need to validate, we need to understand from a base point. Because if I have someone that has no idea about security, and they just go to ChatGPT and it can guide you every step to write an entire application by yourself. Absolutely. And you won't have to consult another person. What you put in there, though, if you just copy and paste, and you don't understand what you're doing, it's a terrifying idea of what you'd be creating, especially if you go live to the market with it.
2: I, I was talking to someone yesterday and um, imagine, imagine you just go to your, your, your lead engineer and you just tell them, Hey, I need a microservice that's flask based. And that's it. What is the lead engineer going to say? well, you need it to be secure. Is it an internal microservice? Is it an external microservice? What are we trying to protect? What data is going to be in there? Hey, um, what's the performance load that we're, that's going to look like? Do you want an ORM? Do you, what ChatGPT will tell you is, here's some code, copy, paste, and now you feel good. You have a running application probably, and you feel like, ah, oh, I'm done. But there's probably 20, 30 things you didn't account for from a security perspective. Right? So that's the danger. You might feel like you're actually progressing, and you feel educated on the topic, and you're actually making progress. But in reality, you may have not covered your bases because it doesn't understand your business context. It doesn't understand what you're trying to do. And the analogy I like about Copilot, it's like a pair programmer who who's sitting next to you, but you can't talk to. And it's like just looking at you coding, and it's like, I think you're trying to do this. It's like Clippy back in. Th- I think you're trying to do this. Here's some code snippets based on what you're trying to do. And that's not effective. So that's kind of one danger. The other danger is how attackers and uh, actors are going to use it, right? I think we've seen a lot of the stuff on deep fakes and um, and uh, audio. I think now being able to deep fake people's voices and deep fake people's looks. I mean, I always think of this like imagine Granny calling you up saying like, "Oh my God, I'm stranded in the street and I'm lost." Could you like send me money or could you do X, Y, and Z? And it sounds like granny, it looks like granny, right? And you know your grandma pretty well, probably. <laughs> so imagine that with 5,000 people in your organization who you don't know very well, who you didn't see over the Christmas holidays <laughs> and you've grown up with, right? People you have n- maybe not even interacted with in your life calling you or doing th- How do you verify their identity?
1: Yeah, it I seems think, like a whole new age of social engineering that's just the box open, right? When when you're able to because social engineers are already pretty skillful or what they do to get their tasks, with this high fidelity level of tooling, it, it becomes it, it's a scary pro it's a scary thought process of what can be done.
2: I had a customer who got social engineered on both sides of the transaction. In in my past life. It's a very cool story. Basically, we had a customer who said, oh, we sent the money to the wrong location, can you help like, w- like pull back that money? And we we're like, okay, so what happened? And they start their investigation. They go deep into this investigation and, and they conclude that basically a malicious attacker impersonated being the supplier, registered in a similar looking domain, understood that supplier had a business context with this particular customer, social engineered and got the in, one of the internal folks' email signature, everything looking like it's that person understood who to message within the organization to go update the beneficiary details of that supplier That's a lot of social context like you have to understand the business relationship, the invoices coming across who the internal people are and stuff like that and that was really sophisticated obviously there's not like there was nothing we could do about it right. It was humans. The weakness was humans. Now imagine doing that at a much more um, convincible scale where I call Bob pretending to be the supplier, sounding like the supplier, acting like the supplier, maybe even showing up on video as a deep fake as the supplier.
1: Yeah. That's, that's going to uh, be it very hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be. Uh... It's going to test our current processes from a security perspective, because currently um, the reason social engineering is so successful um, is the fact that people inherently are helpful, inherently are most people are inherently people pleasers, right? They want to walk away from an interaction feeling like they resolved the problem or something's been accomplished or like, they, 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 that positive reinforcement. And that's what gets leveraged, right? Um, when you come to the world where you literally, you take the let's take no trust architectures, right now you got to apply that to everything. Right. So like we're a system, right? I have a system call internally. I don't care if you're in my internal network. I still don't trust you. I still validate everything for everything you want to do every time, right? No trust. 100%. Well, guess what? Now that's going to have to branch out into the real world to start tackling these problems, right? I don't care if you look like you. I don't care. Unless you have the information to validate that I should do this transaction, you're not getting it, right? We have to start putting in like really advanced security controls and really build that that no trust architecture. I feel like I live like that every day, anyways, but I'm a security person. I'm supposed to live that way. I mean, no, I just got to bleed that out to everybody else.
2: <laughs> wouldn't it be nice to sign people <laughs> and be able to validate their signatures in real time, right? In, 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 in real life? Yeah, hold um, up
1: your palm. Let me get that checksum. Is that really you? <laughs> yeah, is that
2: really you? Um, But I I think that's a massive danger, and I I think it's a a really serious one. And not only do people want to please and help other people, especially when it's your boss or the CEO or someone who is of authority, right? It can be very trusted. I think the other thing is penetration testing and and reconnaissance is going to fundamentally change with AI. Um, Right now, how do you do, do recon? You go, you take the beginning of a thread and you start to pull on that thread, maybe you find something, maybe you don't. You pull on another thread, maybe you find something, maybe you don't. This is not an if-else problem. This requires a lot of pattern recognition and a lot of reconnaissance and going through multiple systems, calling people, trying things out. What if an AI starts to crawl your website? The other day, I heard some security researchers found an undocumented Apple API where they were able to exploit some zero-day vulnerability, right? I'm sure you've heard of this.
1: Yeah, I was reading about
2: that the other day. Right. What if you could use an LLM to guess undocumented API endpoints? Go read Apple's documentation and see, is there anything that mentions anything that might be undocumented? And now you can guess the naming convention they're following and just brute force going through all of these API endpoints and find one that's undocumented. That's reconnaissance.
1: Especially, that's even one part, right? That's an official documentation. You take it a step further, right? Like let's talk about the fact that there's there's models out there trained on Stack Overflow, right? Guarantee there's models. Now, if they could take that data and you apply that to uh, the information in stack overflow, and then they, can you aggregate the people that wrote that information with the organizations they're from to identify really inherently them. known security flaws that are in those company organizations? For a human, could still do this. Once again, AI is not doing anything we couldn't do. It would just take a person a really long time, a lot of tooling and like aggregation to get that data good. AI can fast track that right so the, the the ability to aggregate data in a meaningful way is is scary when it's applied to the wrong problem 100% 100%
2: like it, this is this is exactly like if you can deploy like 10 20 AI workers with specific jobs and tasks to do reconnaissance and penetration testing and all that kind of jazz you've multiplied your efforts and it can the, the the dangerous part it can synthesize all of that and come up with distilled understandings of things right and so um i think we're going to see more damage done there i don't think i don't think anyone who feels like their applications are secure are actually secure i i think we will f- it will start to find if you think about like the distri- the distribution curve security has focused on getting your like 90 to 95 percentile done humans have exploited the 90 to 95 percentile. I think AI is going to get the, the two sigma, three sigma away of stuff that you never thought about as a human, what you need to go do and how to protect it. And that's the scary shit because there's an inverse correlation between probability and severity. And the lower the probability something is, more likely it's a higher severity problem. <laughs> that's how the universe works. And so that two sigma, three sigma away stuff is what AI is going to exploit.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be the the dangerous stuff, the stuff that the, the, exactly on that curve, the stuff that could ha- cause some real damage. Um, so so we've gone through kind of some positive, gone through a little bit of like the highlighting the fact that there's there is a lot of stuff to the fear the fear mongering isn't completely unjustified, right? There are things that we should be concerned about with this technology. What are some things people should do? Like, like, what do we do with this information? We know that's there. We we're it's going to be it's a fact. Now, this isn't going away. How do we approach this problem?
2: I mean, it, to be in denial about AI changing the world, it, it has. It's it has and it will in a continual. First of all, I think investing in good AI tools is going to be important because your bad actors are going to move at a faster pace than you can. budgets are getting cut, right? Security budgets have gotten cut quite a bit. In 2023, they were up 6% instead of up 12 to 16% in the last several years. So they got cut. Teams got laid off. <laughs> Tools are on the rampage. You have alert fatigue. And then you have bad actors who are going to start to deploy this technology to move faster than you can. And so you need to deploy similar technologies internally to move as fast as they can. But you need to be very careful about which ones to use and buy because a lot of snake oil is going to be sold. And we're at the beginning of the hype. I think that's one thing. I think another thing is, um, you know, security training and education now is going to be ever more important, not because I'm on this podcast and you talk about security training and education. I mean that in the utmost seriousness, granny's going to call you one day and you're going to need to verify and figure out, are you talking to the right person? And so how do you these are a new set of challenges humanity's never gone through before. So investing in good training, conducting uh exercises, stress testing your people making sure that this is happening and sticky and i I don't mean that from a name shaming perspective stress testing your people but you you got to make sure your internal people have a security posture in mind when dealing business from finance to sales to you know to product to engineering to anyone can be now bamboozled with ai and so how do you help everyone recognize when they're being bamboozled or not um I think another thing is just covering your bases as best as you can. You know, good apps, good IT, all the stuff that you typically see as best practice, everyone should go do. And I don't know, I, it's, it's always something that I think about ourselves. Like how, how do we protect what we do? I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, every employee I've hired has gotten a phishing, uh, not a phishing attack. Yeah, they gotten a phishing attack within the first week of them getting hired at the company.
1: You know what? That's not unheard of. That happens with our organization all the time. I don't know. And it's happened a couple times. The people luckily we 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 stand steady, we trade, we we take your own medicine, so thankfully that's not an issue with us. But the fact is we've had the 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 thing that everyone sees, get a new employee and with a few weeks the CEO's texting him and asking him for some cards, right? Hey, I need your help real quick. 100%.
2: Hundred percent. And and it looks it looks they look pretty sh now. The language and the grammar and how, the way the tone is spoken are pretty off. <laughs> um I think wait till till LLMs get a hold of this kind of stuff and sound very plausible. Um so I think good security training, I've heard ideas around, you know, verifying humans through hardware, right? As of now, it's a software problem that we have. The robots haven't transcended into mimicking us yet, like the hardware hasn't caught up yet to where the software capabilities are. And so we don't have, you know, analogs of Mike running around pretending to be Mike looking like Mike with Mike's thumb, you know, fingerprint and thumb, uh, thumbprint and stuff like that. I think we will see an increase in biometric solutions to verify people on calls and identities and stuff like that. Go ahead.
1: That's a, that's a very interesting one. Actually, that, I think that that's powerful. I haven't even really thought about that before. Is the fact that, that go it's not it's MFA but to an extreme, strictly leaning into the biometric yeah. um, validations, right? Like that's that's something that's that's a, would be a very powerful tool if used appropriately.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean you're starting to see some of this on LinkedIn and social media platforms where they want to verify your identity. Right? They ask you for your photo ID and stuff like that, because they they themselves have the bot problem. They're kind of at the cutting edge of the bot problem of verifying human identity. I wouldn't be surprised if my bank in two or three or five years starts to say, hey, we sent you a biometric verification request on the mobile app. Could you put your thumbprint or face ID just to verify that? Right, And I think that's going to be on the rise, and I'm really interested to see how that comes into business uh, applications and implications, right? Like, Hey, I'm requesting to transfer money. Okay. Who are you? Verify. Hey, I'm, you know, onboarding. Okay. As part of your onboarding process, we need your face ID to like map against any of the requests. I'm asking for my W2. I'm trying to change my like tax forms, all of that kinds of stuff. the IRS might start to impose this. I think the hardware is still the only truth we have.
1: So they, i I love that. It's, uh, the, so it kind of drives into something I call that's like physical truth. And I can't – somebody talked about this a while ago, too. I won't divulge too much of their information because some of this was said in confidence. But there's there's projects out there that work to do things like – a simple thing like input validation but not trusting the tech, right? You can always fake tech. So what they literally do is is like, okay, well, can we tra- can we test it through physics? Can we validate based oh, on the – actual and this is for like high critical systems right that are only allowed to have xyz commands come through rather than a forge command can i actually ch- check the the validate the actual signal coming through and its structure and its strength and everything else to validate it's coming from the source i expect it's coming from so using the physics of the real world to do validation because that's the one thing you can't fake right digital signals can be faked um I mean, device
2: Yeah, device fingerprinting is hoping to do some of that, right? Like geolocation, your screen resolution, a lot of, like, heuristics to try and determine, are you the right source? But I think what you're saying is, like, an even more physical aspect of that?
1: No, this is actually applying, like, physics, like science behind the the science of physics to validate the things coming through, right? So it's, it's a much more advanced, like, idea of, like... What's the one thing we have that we hold at least true as far as we know in this universe? And that's like gravity, speed, acceleration, like true science validation. Fundamentals, right? That's like and once again. So it's an interesting concept that that now like lean that into biometrics, right? What's what are like digital signals can't be faked, and even up to there, so to some point eventually you can fake you can fake anything almost. But when we lean into the more true parts of your identity, right, not just what's on the camera, not just what's emulated by a voice or a number you know, but truly things that you prove are yourself, like your biometrics and location and everything else that has to be aggregated, um, that's when you can truly get to, like like I said, that, that high Correct. fidelity MFA.
2: <laughs> like, I've never met you, Mike, in person. Yeah. I can't sculpt your face for face ID. Nope. That's a very hard task. Maybe with um, 3D uh, reconstruction, you could, and then with 3D printing you could, and I have to do face ID and a bunch of stuff. There might be ways around it. Is it scalable? No. That's the thing. It's just layers of the onion that make it much, 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 much harder to do so. Um, but I think the physical world is what keeps us anchored right now till the hardware catches up, and then we have to figure out what to do there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think uh, it's the same with the security thing, right? There's no such thing as secure, right? I don't even care if you have the box plugged in, in, in the middle of a room and a vault into the ocean. Somebody can eventually get to it if you they have enough time, money, or effort, right? You know what's um, funny? Yeah. You know
2: what's funny? Sorry to, to, to interrupt you. Yeah. My, we were baby-proofing our house when our when our son was born. So my wife was like, oh, is the house baby-proof now? I'm like, Enough. enough for now till his capabilities and his height start to like grow to a point where that level of baby proofing isn't enough. And now we have a new set of problems where the top drawers need to be secured and then there's going to be cabinets and then it's going to be, he's going to grow taller and more capable and more intelligent. And that's what's going to happen with AI. Like it's just, we're secure enough now. And then the question is how do you AI proof or baby proof everything else as these capabilities become more sophisticated?
1: I think that's one of the drive home points for I think my audience It's it, for listening. It's, it's, what do we do right now is you got to get to enough, right? Get it get to enough. Nothing is not acceptable. Ignoring the risk is not acceptable. 100% but acknowledging the risk and getting good enough security in right now so you can function as we learn more as we all grow more together to improve security. That's the goal.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's a moving target. I think that enough is going to... I think that's... What you just said, I think, is what you should ask yourself every quarter. That's... Like
1: that's what, yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, I saw today um, a tweet about um, mid-journey, two, 2022 mid-journey result versus 2023 mid-journey result. And it went from, like, cartoonish to photorealism in, like, such a short period of time. It's mind-boggling. And like chat GPT 3.5 to four was just a big leap. Imagine what five is gonna look like in six and seven. And we're moving at a really rapid pace. I I think maybe this question quarterly, even monthly, are we secure enough for now is gonna be the fundamental because you can't cover all your bases.
1: Hey, I wanna thank you Ahmed, appreciate you for coming on, having this deep dive discussion. And the takeaway home point I think we need to drive is, are we secure enough? That's a question you should ask yourself every day. If you, the answer is no, do something and then ask yourself again and then follow that. In. Repeat and rinse. Um, so once again, thank you all Matt, for joining us for this amazing conversation. I want to thank all my listeners for coming and join. Join me again for our next episode. I will be visiting with another security expert. and We're going to deep dive into another security topic. And always remember, security is a journey, not a destination. The Security
0: Champions podcast is brought to you by Security Journey. Security Journey is an enterprise-class secure coding training platform with lessons that are built on learning science principles to deliver long-term, measurable results. Learn more at securityjourney.com.